Hello and welcome to episode two of the Healthy Happy Horse podcast. My name is Amy Mitchell. I am an equine podiatrist and founder of the Healthy Happy Horse Connection membership. Today I have the absolute pleasure of sharing with you a conversation that I recorded with Bonnie Meeland. Uh, Bonnie is actually in Zimbabwe at the time of recording. So there are a couple of occasions where the internet connection is a little bit flaky, but I hope it won't spoil your enjoyment of the conversation at all. Uh, Bonnie is is a fantastic um, practitioner. She, as well as being a, a fellow podiatrist, has managed through various circumstances in her life to get involved with working with feral horses and doing some studying of, of wild horses and currently looking at, at studying some wild zebras. So fascinating, fascinating, interesting story. Really excited to share this with you. Um, I hope you enjoy. Now, unfortunately, right at the beginning of the podcast, when I started recording and Bonnie and I were saying our hellos, uh, my lovely dog Sadie decided it was the perfect opportunity to go barking at a pigeon in the garden. Um, So I've edited that bit out and we joined the conversation at the point where we, Bonnie and I, are, of course, comparing notes on weather, as all British people have to do. Uh, Bonnie is in Zimbabwe at the time. And I had think I just told her that here in England, it had been minus six that morning when I'd gone out to do the horses. Uh, so back to the podcast. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I think it's about twenty-eight here today, which is oh, cool. Wow. Usually it's so it's wow. hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I think you're definitely in the better place. So where exactly are you? Zimbabwe, okay. on Lake Kariba, Zimbabwe. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Very envious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's beautiful out here. And I was due to come back in uh, March, but with all this lockdown stuff and the hotels, I'm just thinking I'll, I'll stay here longer. Yeah. But in the UK, you know, I'm seeing all the snow and everything and I'm thinking, oh, that's where I'd like to. So would you have to quarantine okay. if you came back? <laughs> yeah, no. So the new rules are that if you come from a red list country, which Zimbabwe is one of them, you have to hotel quarantine for 10 days. And that's if you're clear. If you test positive while you're there, you have to stay longer. And yeah. it's going to cost £1,800. Wow. So. Yeah, stay where you are. Yeah. <laughs> See if it dies down. Hopefully that will take the restrictions away and then I'll, I'll be able to get back again. But yeah. it was it was like last week, make the decision, am I going to leave now? Like literally, there's the, out of one of the last flights out or, or just stay. So yeah. I've, I've stayed. Yeah, that sounds like a wise move. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, as as we sort of discussed before, the purpose of this really is to to talk to some of the the great people that I've had doing presentations in the the Healthy Happy Horse Connection membership group, um, really to find out your story, because um, I think okay, it's really interesting to know. I guess you know when you were a kid, you probably didn't think that you'd be sat where you are now doing doing what you're doing now. So it's I think it's amazing mm-hmm. to understand how you how you've ended up where you are and you know the influences that you've had and and the things that have kind of influenced the approach that you take and I I think it's really really interesting I think everyone has an amazing story um so yeah I mean if we if we start at the beginning what what was life like for you growing up were you uh, a horsey girl 
no okay so so growing up I was I was brought up on a boat um so oh, my first wow. six years I know were were on the water but I'm told that from like as soon as I could talk or draw all I about or drew was horses so <laughs> like many of us it's it's just something that's in you it's it's some my environment because it was complete opposite so so that that was my experience that was my my the start for me was just I was always wanting to read about horses and look at pictures of horses and see them and all of this type of stuff yeah and whenever I got the opportunity I I went near them which wasn't much um and I think you know you hear these stories about young children and and dangerous animals and I had one of those experiences with uh, a, a young horse who hadn't been trained and had been quite aggressive towards people. But of course, I, I, I think I was four or five. I didn't know any. I to have a picnic under his belly. You know, I, I can't really remember that part of it. But I remember people coming to the fence and sort of screaming, you know, because they're like, oh, my God, you know, this is so dangerous. And I ran away and, you know, that that was the end of it. But yeah, there's some about the innocence of, of not having any preconceived ideas about animals and just having a, an interaction with them, which, you know, you see time and again with, with young people, with children. So whenever I got the opportunity, I was doing stuff. I think from then on, I was probably a bit more cautious, but um, yeah. yeah, that's that's sort of I suppose, one of my first, my first interactions with horses. Um, and then as I grew up, you know, I just wanted to go on riding lessons and, and all the rest of it eventually wore my parents down and went once a week very traditional type of riding school and it, yeah you know it was completely the highlight and then I, I nagged even more and managed to get myself a pony when I was 14 yeah um, and had a fantastic time with him you know one of these just get on his back and go you know go out with my mates for, for days on end just exploring around the woods and um doing all sorts of crazy stuff that you do when you're a teenager <laughs> yeah and really really enjoying that you not and just having this incredible freedom you know I didn't have very much money if any money so I had to have a paper round to to keep him and couldn't afford a saddle so I had to ride bareback for I don't know a year or something and you know all of those types yeah. of experiences of wanting to go and do the more conventional sort of like pony club stuff but not having any sort of backup or any capability of doing that and and just just going off and having fun um and then I think very clearly for me that the only thing I wanted to do when I left school was work with horses although of course at that time it's like no you've got to get a proper job yeah <laughs> you know going be a doctor or something um so it was seen as a real sort of yeah not an ideal yeah. career I guess uh but for me obviously it was and so I went down the traditional or conventional route of training to do my AI, but I only lasted a year. Um, I had such a terrifying experience in as much as it, it was a naval riding school. So it was all very strict and very regimented. And the people were awful. I mean, I don't know why. There was just this huge culture of, of belittling and bullying and you know, not being good enough and all of that type of stuff completely shattered my confidence. And also I hated being around the horses. It was such a miserable experience yeah. that I actually get bad horses. Really? Yeah. It's, and it's, wow. yeah, it's amazing how you can 
be obsessed and it's like this is my life and then I can't bear this anymore I'm, I'm gonna leave and then and then I met my husband started traveling around and um, spent a few years in Zimbabwe so I've actually lived here before as well because Dave's Zimbabwean and and when I went back to the UK, the horse world had changed a bit you know it was it was sort of Pat Pirelli, Monty Roberts it was this, yeah. this different way of thinking with horses and I thought yeah there's something in this this is this is more like the experience I had with my pony when I was young of having fun and connection and enjoyment and um so got back into horses so yeah that's sort of <laughs> yeah. my childhood and it's really young. interesting because I was yeah. when I was talking to to Nikki Megason uh, recording with her um a week or so back she in some ways had quite a similar experience um, in that, you know, she, she'd been riding horses in Scotland, doing her own thing. And then she went to work at a hunt yard as her first proper job and had very similar kind of experience um, and, and stopped working with horses at that point and then came back to it later on. So I think, it, yeah, I think there's probably quite a lot of people that have had a similar, similar early experience, <laughs> uh, not a necessarily a happy one. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah I've that, that whole that whole sea change of the kind of natural horsemanship coming in, I think it, for a lot of us, it made a real difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, it was, it was a breath of fresh air at that time. And it was a, it was a, di a different perspective and a way of looking at things that was, was more fun, I guess, was more relaxed, was more about being the horse rather than a, you know, maybe, competition or achievement or whatever or or set rules you know so yeah it was it was an interesting it was an interesting time yeah so were you were you working at the time but sort of not with horses yeah I was working um just so I, so when when I decided to give up horses I studied agriculture so I got into farming so I got into right. that sort of side of you know being practical working on the land and, and all of that sort of stuff, which I really, I really enjoyed and I really loved. And then when I was in Zimbabwe, I actually worked as a, as a diver. I couldn't, there was, we were in a national park, so there's no farms here. So I learned to dive and I used to, to go out and help a, a commercial diver search for boats and oh, lift rigs and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a really good fun. Um, and then when we, and then we moved to Scotland temporarily, we ended up yeah. staying there for 25 years, but, <laughs> Um, and then I was working on a fish farm there. So I was, I was doing all these different types of, of things, outdoor if possible. Yeah. And so horses was pretty much a sort of sideline hobby. Um, yeah, just something I got interested in and again. And then, and, and then I had a family, had two young boys, or babies as they were then, but managed, I think my eldest was two, I, I went and did a the Kelly Marks Intelligent Horsemanship Foundation course because okay. that that really appealed. And uh, after I did that, it's like this is it. I would have made an associate. This is fantastic, and yeah. um, it was it was a it was a great start into a different horse world. I mean, I, I never did follow that, and you know, my my life up until sort of two years ago was was raising my family. You know, that was the yeah, the, yeah. the sort of the most important part doing other stuff around that so yeah it was it was just we well, are yeah, passionately wanting to work with horses not being in a very remote place in the Scottish Highlands 
hardly any horses around, if any. So that, you know, wasn't like the ideal place to do it. And did I did you, manage to get myself. Did you have your own horse at the time? Well, I, yeah, I was looking after my sister's horse. Right. And then I, I got a, a couple of young and then I also got a few rescue horses, which is, you know, as you do. Yeah. If you're into to yeah. animals, you seem to end other people don't. Want. And and I had a hell of a so we were living on an island at the time and I had an awful time trying to get anyone to do the feet. You know, it was right. really there were all sorts of, of around that to do with the, the like the logistics and also the person who came was was a nightmare. Right. And um and then I saw a hoof trimming weekend course and I thought well, I've got to do something. So I'll go off and learn how to do feet in yeah. a weekend. Yeah. Um, so I went and did that and uh, really, and I really enjoyed that. You know, I, I, it was really good. And then got back home, sort of picked up the rasp and thought, oh, what was it again? Yeah. <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> um, but so, then I, so then I read more about it and then I decided, no, this is something that I could fit in with family life. I really enjoy doing would be really helpful for me on a personal level as well so I, I went and did the training and uh, qualified with, with KC so that was my my sort of grounding and the, the way that I got into hoof trimming was literally I had no choice I had to try and take control of these horses feet because one of them was a really bad laminitic so it was very problematic yeah um, but yeah loved it really enjoyed the training met some fantastic people who I'm still in touch with and you know meet up occasionally but it's it got me back into being with horses and although it, I couldn't work full-time I was working part-time again living on an island having young children and then we did move to the mainland but into a remote place so it wasn't I mean if you're doing a business plan it was it was yeah. the opposite of a good business plan. <laughs> like no horses around loads of travel all these sort of logistical stuff yeah. but you know I loved the work there was for me there was no doubt that this is what I wanted to do and and so for many years it was just it was just trimming you know it was going and um wherever I was asked to go I'd go basically I'd go anywhere in Scotland and ended up on you know islands up in the highlands and remote places down in sort of Glasgow and it was great you know as, as just sort of slowly learning gaining lots of experience with a, a huge array of different types of horses it was fantastic I mean I did ridiculous mileage I can't I mean I just I couldn't have made money it's <laughs> probably if I broke even <laughs> but you that no, you, you do it and to me that was from what I was learning from from going to all these diverse places it, it was all building up my experience and what I the services I could offer so yeah it was definitely yeah. worth it and the places you go you you know as a trimmer you know the places you go the people you meet it's, yeah, it's, it's literally the best job in the world yeah yeah it really is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, I yeah. used to I mean back in the day when I had a proper job you know you'd get that horrible sinking Sunday night feeling of oh god it's Monday and you know I never get that now never and it's it's yeah. life changing isn't it yeah it's fabulous yeah yeah totally totally yeah. yeah and it 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 was a learning curve you know running my own business you know setting it up in the first place and then doing accounts and all that yeah. nightmare stuff <laughs> and it, it's it's you know a personal level of of the learning life skills it's very helpful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 basically I was part for many years and having a young family, I was most of my time was was spent at home, 
and I'm also a retained firefighter. So when I was at home, oh, I'd be really? on call to go out to respond to call outs as well. So it seems like these are two very different things, you know, working with horses, hoof trimming um, and being a firefighter. But actually, it's amazing how they've now convened and the skills I'm learning for, I've learned from being in dangerous, very fast moving situations, you know, being then starting to work with wild and feral horses that, it's, yeah. it's experience it's it's quite interesting how that's given me I feel like a, a bit of a well it's I suppose a practice a practice of of how to keep your cool under pressure and that yeah. type of stuff so it's that's really interesting how these things filter into your life yeah I, I, yeah, I did yeah, that that's really cool yeah yeah, yeah it's really cool and and the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it's it's terrifying at times. The training they put you through is just, it's out of this world that, you know, the, the temperatures you have to experience, the wearing, the breathing apparatus, have it being a diver, that was, I was used to that to a certain yeah. degree, but then you you know, you go to black, blacked out buildings, smoke filled buildings, you can't see anything. So you're very much having to learn to go on, in, well, not just instinct, because there's procedure that you follow, but yeah. you also trust yourself keep you cool follow a set pattern that you know how to to go along with and it's it huge yeah on a personal level again that's probably the hugest challenge I've ever had in my life and you talk about yeah stepping outside that was uh, and still is you know I, I mean when I'm home I'll, I'll get trained up again and get, and get back on the call and and you just never know what you're going to come what's going to come up what you're going to get turned out to so it's a constant learning curve yeah I can see, as you say, those 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 skills of, of being in a situation that you're in a lot of ways not in control of and being able to keep that calmness and having control of yourself is yeah. is is such a massively important life skill for so many things. It's true. It's really true, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I suppose with the trimming then, because I was always interested in, in training, riding, um, the behavioural stuff, I was always drawn towards working with horses that were a bit difficult, a bit tricky. You know, oh, the farrier can't get anywhere near that one. Like, yeah. right, I'll give yeah. it a go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was also as the years progressed that became more and more of a, a thing for me that I really I really enjoyed that 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 interaction with horses and and also as as we all have experienced with our hoof trimming training is it's like it's a, well like anything it's a starting point and then uh, I suddenly became aware there was a horse attached to the um so I, I, I studied equine sports massage get analysis and diet and nutrition, all the things that you, you do to just try and get a much bigger picture view or whole horse view of, of what we do. Yeah. But it was always the behavior that, that was drawing me. I, you know, I, I really like the, the anatomy and physiology and that's fascinating too, but it's, 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 the, it's on the personal level with the horses. So that, that was definitely the route that I was, was it, you know, intentionally going down, but also being asked to go down because once you get a reputation for being patient with a difficult horse, then people call you in. And I know you've experienced this yeah. as well. I had exactly the <laughs> yesterday. Well, I've been um, 
been trimming a pony for a, a rescue center and um, I've never had a problem trimming him, um, but he's he's been very lucky. He's been rehomed. Uh, but I got a phone call from the lady yesterday who's rehomed him saying, oh my goodness, I've taken this pony on and the farrier came out yesterday and it was a dreadful experience and the farrier, the farrier couldn't get near his hind legs and he said he won't come back and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I said, oh, really? So uh, yeah, be going back out to see him again. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? But it's the same thing. I, I kind of, I, I, I think like you, I really enjoy working with those those kind of ponies. Um, and I, I suspect that, you know, your, your energy is different and the pony picks up on the different energy and all that kind of thing. I think, you know, they they, they feel that that different motivation somehow. Yeah, it's really yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant to have the two skill sets that you and I have, which is, you know, you can do the trimming with your eyes closed sort of thing. You know, it's not something you need to think about and you're, you know, you're mm. very good with the tools. So you, so you don't really need to be thinking about that. And then that gives you that freedom to be able to, to reassure the horse or to be reading the situation about what's going on. And, that, and that's another element of it as well. It's bringing yeah. those two things. To the, so, you know, you do get a lot of people who are good at handling them but then not necessarily, you know, and then you get a farrier or, or a trimmer who comes in who's not so experienced with difficult horses having their feet handled. And it's, it, yeah, it doesn't often go well. So to bring those two skill sets is, is pretty, a lot of EPs do it as far as I can see, because yeah. that could be the sort of people that are drawn towards, towards this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You see it a lot. So, so you, I mean, you obviously then started getting more involved in the behavior side um how, how did that that kind of progress okay so yeah this this interest in the the difficult to handle horses the the ones that are a bit more challenging and because I'd done the intelligent horsemanship although I wasn't using join up or any of those other things I did have another perspective on how to work with them and I definitely you know I went and and did clinics with Mark Rashid and Leslie Desmond and and you know that sort of yeah. thing and there was a lot of technique in in it and and I'd used them very successfully you know I I felt like right I've got a pretty good toolbox and I can try various different things and, and adapt different things um and then <laughs> then I got a phone call um asking me if I'd work with a, a group of semi-feral ponies on a remote island so there were about 50 of them at that time, mainly Eriskays and also about 20 miniature Shetlands. Um, so I was, you know, oh God, yeah, yeah. I'll come and do that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. brilliant. And uh, yeah, I, I know what to do and all the rest. So, so, so when I was asked to go and work with the, these semi-feral ponies, they had had good handling in the past, but more, but hadn't had anything for a long time. In the more recent experiences that they'd had was a lot of, terrifying experiences with the vet so the vet wasn't really into horses um so he's he used to get like the local farmers to come and help him and they'd corner them and rugby tackle them and and you know tie their legs up and uh, they they it was it was awful it was it was pretty extreme so when I rocked up there you know with my ropes and my my techniques it left you know they left and um there was no physically keeping them in there. There was no big straw. They didn't want to be there. They were gone. And, and that just happened. Um, so it was a real opportunity to drop everything that I'd learned in the past and start again, 
because yeah. I think in my first day I managed to do, I, I managed to get near a few, but you know, those were the ones that hadn't had the bad experiences and they were a bit more uh, sort of amenable temperaments. But there was, there was just no way I could, I could get near or let alone interact with these others. And um, so I was going back on a regular basis once a week for a while. And, and I mean, just getting there, the logistics, it was like an, an 18 hour day just to get on a ferry, get, well, first of all, drive to the ferry, get on the ferry, get there, work. And then if the weather was bad, it was a nightmare. So there was, there was so many factors that made, made it really difficult. There was no fallback of an indoor school or, or let alone a shed or a stay where it was out field with the horses. What can you do? So, so as it, as it progressed and it was very slow, I, I thought, well, what, what's working here? The only thing that was working was when I sort of took a step back and spent time observing the horses and, and, and reading the body language, listening to them. Yeah. And then when they were approaching me, then I started to move on from that. So I thought, well, nothing I'm doing is going well. I'm not happy about one of them got injured. She jumped off over a really high fence, you know, broke the bar and it wasn't serious, thankfully, but it was just, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really important to just, yeah, when something's not working, right, stop, yeah. let's start again, let's do differently. So that was the one, that was the one decision I made was, I mean, my confidence was gone as well. You know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've just been so lucky. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing like, I mean, there's nothing like animals and horses in particular for really humbling us but it's it's so good it's so helpful um no so what what I thought so the one the one element that I thought was successful in as much as it, it didn't go horribly wrong and and it wasn't terrifying was that if I was listening to the horses then we could start to move on from that so I made the decision that the only things that I would do with them or around them were things that they were comfortable with. And it would be completely horse-led as much as I was able to interpret their behavior, but that would be my priority. It wouldn't be getting the feet done. It wouldn't be getting a head collar on, none of that. It was just you and the horse in, in that area. How are they today? What's going on? What will they, what's okay for them? What's not okay for them? And, and that was it. That was the only sort of rule that I gave myself. And it was astounding. You know, it was it was like this complete turnaround from most of them of just, yeah, right. OK, you can show my feet then. So suddenly I went from wow. being completely useless, achieving anything to almost straightforward trimming with a lot of them. And, and you know, it, it's, it's not. It was amazing. But just just by taking that step back and listening to them and trying my best to, to interact with them in a way that they were comfortable with. And then all this other stuff became possible. And there was very extreme behaviors as well. You know, there was a couple of, well, for example, there were a couple of mares that I, I went into a pen with and I had, I think just one rope with me just to tie up a gate or something. And the two of them, like they, their bodies, just dripping with sweat, trembling, they couldn't move. Like the terror was just Aww. breaking, you know, and that was, I didn't look at them. I didn't hadn't gone anywhere near them, but just, just that memory that, that they had was. Yeah. yeah. 
So that that was that was really hard, you know, to gain the trust of a horse that's experienced who knows what is is tough. And then there, there was one that was was really aggressive and really scary. And um, again, I didn't know what to do about that, but I, I knew I wasn't going to make myself vulnerable. But that you know, that's just her response to to what had happened to her. Yeah. So there was there was all these, and there were about fifty. So there, there was a huge range of behaviours. <laughs> And then the mini Shetlands, I mean, that was, that was another level. It, it, was a, it was this wonderful opportunity. So, so yeah, so that was that and really brilliant, really fulfilling. And, you know, it was great to get on the feet. We're in horrendous conditions, some of them, and just be able to gain the trust and start a bit of routine trimming. Because, that, because I had this limited time, because there were so many of them, there were some foals and young, young stock that I never got to, to go anywhere near or... I didn't even try because I just had so much on my plate with the others. Yeah. And then over the course of one day, I had an experience with a young old colt, which I've, I wrote an article about, The Edge of the Atlantic, on my blog site. And th that literally changed my life. You know, you have these epiphanies and these moments of, like, before this. So, so what happened basically is that it, there was a young completely unhandled horse that I thought at some point we'll go through the you know the, the the routine that we have and gain his trust and da 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 and go through this it wasn't a system but you know what see what works yeah on this particular day he came into the pen where I was working because I usually work with two or three horses at a time and just by mistake and it's like okay he's in I can't I haven't got time but he's just there yeah and he stayed and then over the course of the day, his confidence built and he started to approach me. And I was working with my husband, Dave, that day. And at the end of the day, and it wasn't a long day. I mean, we were, we were maybe out there for five hours or something. But by the end of this day, I trimmed his feet with him standing loose in the field. Wow. Like, wow. oh, my goodness. That's incredible. It, it, yeah, it is. It blew my mind. You know, I thought that unhandled horses were, were difficult, were, you know, were dangerous. But I knew had had no human interaction, not, not good or bad. And to see the level of trust that he would he would get give if he was handled or, or it, I wasn't even handling him, but just interacted with in a way that didn't frighten him was Again, another another one of these huge shocks just just made me realise. Okay, these horses that I think are unhandled and are so frightened, that's not natural. That's not normal. That's not yeah, a normal that's horse. Amazing, isn't it? This is yeah. A normal horse is actually curious and interested, and if they're pretty easygoing young chaps like he was, they will let you trim their feet. Have, having never been handled, not having a halter on, in an open space. Yeah. So that. That blew my mind. So that, yeah. there were there were levels of of learning with this these feral ponies, but that was that definitely changed everything. And I thought, okay, I know nothing about horses. You know, I've studied and I've done all these courses and I've read stuff and I've done clinics, and I know nothing because uh, nothing had prepared me for that behaviour. So that so that set me on the path of ethological study. So studying animals in their natural environment to, to see their natural behavior 
And I'd, for a few years, I was reading everything that I could and, and looking into it. And what, what I was finding is that I would have the experiences with the, the feral ponies. And then I would go and find a scientific study that explained it or backed it up. And I, you know, I didn't always. And then one day I discovered the work of Lucy Reese. And it was, it was just like, oh yes, oh, oh, that's what that is. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Yeah, and she explained yeah. it all, but because she spent, you know, 60 years of her life traveling the world, studying wild, wild horses, wild living horses, she knows horses. And, and I thought, no, this is, this, is, this is the information I need. Because as we all know, scientific study can be very mixed. There's some fantastic stuff out there. And then there's some stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense or, or doesn't fit quite into the paradigm of what you're working with. Um, so so I, I, ever since then, which was probably five years ago, I've been, whenever I came, going out to Spain to study the Pachocas, which are her group of, of feral ponies who live on a reserve. And the only... The only purpose, it sounds a bit funny saying that, but they, their lives are just to be studied. So they're not, they, the stallions aren't removed. There's no human interference as such. Um, it's just literally ethological study. So you can go out there and you can watch horse behavior and you can, you can start to, to put the pieces together, build a picture. And again, that was, that was mind blowing. Uh, to, to realize that the true nature of a horse was very different to what I'd experienced. Even though I'd had a lot of experience, and met a, huge, met a huge range of, of domestic horses, but seeing normal, you know, natural, I use that word very tentatively, but natural behavior made me think, well, this is, this is something that I need to, this needs to be my foundation. This is what I'm gonna work from. And so, that, so then that led me to looking for wild, feral, wild living horses wherever I could. And then I got interested in the different species of, of equines as well, because, you know we've got we've got nine of them left in the world so they're they're pretty precious and um luckily near me there's a there's a group of Shavalskis, well near me they're, they're a few hours away but they they're in the highland wildlife park starting to, to, to learn from them because well it's between the, these wild, actual wild horses even though they're living in a confined space 80 acres and it's pretty wild but it's not the mongolian steps and then when i got there the, the staff were fantastic, gave me loads of information and we got talking. And when I talked about my work with the feral ponies, <laughs> so it turned out that the only way that they could handle these horses or do if they had to do anything and they, they kept it to a minimum, but you know, they had to be microchipped and they had sometimes had to be vaccinated. And if they were ill or, or injured, they had to be interacted with. And the only way they could do that was to shoot them with a dart gun with tranquilizers, which obviously is mm. very dangerous, expensive, stressful, you know, and, and just, over the top really so my initial reaction when they asked me was that I, I didn't really want to do it because I felt like we mess around with enough animals can we have some that we just leave alone you know it's it's quite nice to to for them to not have to deal with people but as as they talk more and you know I, I realized that, that actually this this would be very different because their welfare was such that they were exposed to these very strong drugs for very minor procedures. And if they, they had the ability or the confidence to interact with people, it would be much easier for them. So, so then that gave me this opportunity to, to work with the Shabowskis. And, and again, another huge learning curve with them because of course they're horses, they're equines, but they're very different. They're very different to, 
to even the most feisty sort of feral or or difficult really? to handle domestic yeah yeah and I've, t- I've talked to a lot of people about this and I think it's basically human influence you know we if we look back and think we've domesticated them for like 5,000 years or whatever the, the estimate is at the moment then that's 5,000 years of selective breeding and I know we've bred for size and color and you know cart horses and Shetland ponies all the rest of it but the, the overwhelming thing since they an easygoing sort of trainer want horse but ones like the, the zebras and the Chevalskis, ones that haven't had that human influence They've survived because they're very good at making them their own decisions. They're very got very strong personalities. They that you know not necessarily going to be amenable. So working with the Chevalskis is is mixed. You know, it's it's very much either they'll do it or they won't. You know, you're not going to train them or persuade them. It's it's a case of if you've had a good enough relationship with them and there's a there's a, a degree of trust there, then you stand the chance of being able to trim their feet, which luckily for me. I can do with most of them but if they're having an off day nah it's not happening and you know you, you just go with that whereas with a domestic horse you might you know persuade them a bit more or, or you know work with them a bit more but um it's re- it's a really good thing and I and I I wish there were more Shavaskis around I really feel like if all of us could work with horses like that that are just so strong and confident in themselves we would appreciate our domestic horses so much more, you know, just what nice guys they are, how amenable they are. Even when they're being awkward, they're, they're just, they're still great. And so it's endlessly fascinating, you know, you work with all these different individuals, but then as a, as an actual family or a species, seeing the similarities, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting with the Shavaskis, they smell different, you know, there's their horses and there's so much about them, but their smell is really different. Really, and it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. When I've worked with them, I tend to not. I tend to have different clothes because of beauty and all the rest of it. But if if I've if I've got something underneath, like a, a, a they, they're just like they just smells familiar, but not quite the same. And it's the same but different. Yeah, that's really really interesting. And I, I never, yeah, never would have, yeah, never would have thought that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting yeah. what you were saying about their, you know, their, their kind of approach to life and, and whether or not they want to be dealing with you on an individual day. I think, because uh, as you say, I think we as people, sometimes it's really hard, like when you do something and it goes well, it's really hard to think, okay, I'm going to stop now. That, that there's, there's such a big part of us that <laughs> I'll just do a little, just just a little bit more, a little bit more. And before you know it, you know, the whole thing's gone horribly wrong and you think, oh, why didn't I stop 10 minutes ago? So that must be, working with those sorts of horses must be so good at teaching you that kind of self-control and, and you know, really going with what they're offering rather than thinking, well, I'll just, I'll just a little bit more, a little bit more. Absolutely. And, and I, and I think, I mean, it's changed everything. I mean, all of, this stuff ever since I started working with these these horses that or, that aren't handled very much, you know, my direction has completely changed. In that, for me now, horse training, although I might still call it that, but you know, I don't want to get into definitions. But uh. but, but what I'm doing with any horse that I is wild, feral, or domestic is is building relationship, 
and that and, and a trust, you know, that and that's it. That's the bottom line. And then we go from there, whatever that might be. And so that's been my, that is always my number one goal. And that that's really quite difficult to, to hold on to when you, you know, maybe have time pressures or, you know, I'm paying you to do this work and all you're doing is standing around. I mean, you're not standing around, but being trust or whatever. But if people are watching it, it looks like you're standing around. And it, just, just to stay true to that, but, but what, what with the the Shavowskis, for example, is that we're two, three generations into the work, and the early work, some of it went pretty smoothly and, and pretty quickly. A lot of the horses had 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 were frightened of people because of past experience, bad past experience, or frightening past experience. So that's you know, there's been a, a range of behaviours with them, and a lot of it has been relationship building. And, and just really consolidating that you're safe, this is okay, and you know I'm not going to do anything terrifying to you. But now with the youngsters, because they're born into this, it's just part of their life and part of their environment. And, and what I've been seeing is that at around six months old, because we don't we don't ever force a horse to be touched. You know, you are you in the past I had sort of not. I suppose cornered them but in a nice way and then you know maybe used a stick or something and, and, and gone from there but now I, I won't do it the quality of relationship that leads on from that is a completely different thing so with these young horses we don't we don't try to interact with them we, we're there and we don't frighten them but you know the interactions with their, their mothers but then around six months old between six and nine months curious young animals and they're used to us and then they start coming over and then they start sniffing and then they may have a nibble or you know want it to interact and then you can start maybe giving them a little scratch or, or something like that but the confidence of them it's, it's it's like the work's all done you know it's like we've done all the work with the older ones and as long as we don't terrify them or do anything to, to lose trust with them then they're, they're okay I'll give it a go you want to pick up my foot I don't know about that, but okay, I'll give it a go. And and as long as you can build on that, then it's just a straightforward thing. And what I mean with the Shavalskis as well, I I to start with, I was training them to or teaching them to be comfortable wearing halters and to have ropes and just to get used to that stuff. But but now I generally don't. If there's one that bites a lot, I might you put yeah. a halter on so that like the handle can physically stop her biting, because yeah, that, yeah, you know, they're quite good with that. <laughs> yeah. But generally they're loose. They're loose in, in, a, in an open space and there's a handler at the head who's maybe feeding them, or I, although I don't tend to use food very much. Some of them I do, but if I have a choice, I don't. And, th and that handler is giving me feedback about what's going on and probably giving the horse a scratch and, and just being with them and, and giving me the information I need. And then I'll trim them loose, you know, and, that, and that's it. It's like I said, it's either on their terms or it's not happening. So yeah. Yeah. And that gives you the if they've had enough they'll walk away there's no yeah that that's but gen but generally if, if they're okay enough to stand and let you handle them then you, you can trim them or do whatever you need to do so it's um the most important thing for me is it's the the, the training is secondary or the, the what comes after that is secondary because once you've got trust a trusting relationship then you can pretty much pretty much do anything I don't know that yeah you, yeah that's so if that's your really focus, the rest yeah. of it follows. And that might be microchipping or vaccinating or hoof trimming or riding or 
pulling a cut or whatever, but that that's that's where it's at for me. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And you know, when you look at it, it's it it throws quite a sad light, I think, on on a lot of the relationships that we as people therefore have with our domesticated horses that you know they they do have to be tied up to do things and and so on because given the choice for a lot of things they wouldn't hang around mm. um yeah that's that's well it, it doesn't it doesn't horses really like social interaction the bits they can't reach and they you know they do if we're nice to them you know they they like to be with us so if you're offering that then generally they will have have a choice but it's it's interesting to step out of the maybe more traditional path or even the more natural horsemanship path or alternative path and just say yeah what's this about for me and and I think with my work I've I've really been blessed with this this opportunity because I don't know that I would have chosen this otherwise but literally I had no choice I had to like nothing's working what can I find that might work and a, a completely different path I made the decision that I wasn't going to ride her unless she it was okay with her because because of what you've just said and I didn't ride for two years <laughs> and she's had saddle fit issues and she's had a bit of a difficult background and all the rest of it but then when we do stuff together, it's it's different now. You know, it is it is partnership, I feel, more or there's more equality there. I'm certainly still feeling like I need to be in charge if we're on a road or yeah. I am making the decision that we're going out. But because I'm obsessed with building relationship, that's 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 what's fulfilling for me and that's what I enjoy. So the rest of it follows on from that. That's, that's amazing. I, I mean, the experiences that you've had, I, I suspect there are very few, if anyone else, that has had that same sort of journey as you. Um, so you've got such an interesting perspective. Um, and I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot that, that everybody really could take from that think that you know the things that you've seen and and the things that you've learned from those experiences I think it's it, it yeah everyone should be able to sort of hear what you're talking about and, and take something away and go away and think about that and, and how how that relates to their own relationships with I mean not just their horses I guess with, with any animal that, that, that they have yeah yeah I think so I think you know we we all bring our unique life experiences and perspectives uh -huh what we do and you know and that's the value of of community and 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 sharing and all the rest of it is it's you don't have to do it all by yourself you can you can share these ideas and and take little bits out that make sense or try something and I think that is what you know what I've I've really learned is don't follow the the set procedures yeah it can work and it can be good and and in some cases, it's it's really appropriate, but if it's not working, try something else, and it can be anything else. You know, I have had to try things that, when I look back and think, no, that wouldn't, <laughs> I probably wouldn't do that again. But be creative. You know, why not? This it, and again, if your if your focus is relationship and trust, then that gives you a big freedom. You know, it's not about a a certain way of riding or a certain way of handling. You know that. 
that comes after and you can make your choices what what's appropriate for you and your animal and so i suppose it's it's us on any tips it would be that yes you know that's that leads you down these intriguing paths of well, why are they doing that? You know, what does that mean? Or yeah, is that really true? <laughs> that that's the thing. It's it's being curious. So yeah, it's it, it's it's fascinating. I've I've we've in in my group in January we've been having a little training challenge, and um, you know we've all picked something to work on with our horses and and using positive reinforcement. And I've been doing stuff with one of my, funny enough, mini Shetlands. Um, so you'll, you'll appreciate the, the quirks of the mini. Um, but it's been really interesting doing stuff with him because I've been doing it with him loose. So he's always had the opportunity if he's wanted to go. And for me, you know, I've, that's been, it's been really revelationary just doing these, these little bits and really focusing on watching his body language and rather than, as you were saying earlier, rather than being focused, so my, my main aim with him is he struggles with having his hind feet trim because he's, he's got problems with his stifles and he finds it a bit uncomfortable. Um, so I've been really wanting to get to the point where he's, he's really happy with lifting his feet and that, you know, I, I read him and if it's a day when he's obviously less comfortable, then we just won't do it. Um, but I think, you know, just over these few weeks, I, I feel like I understand him a lot better and that actually my relationship with him is a lot better. Just from, rather than thinking, right, you know, I must get his feet trimmed today, just going into it with like, okay, well, we're, you know, we're just gonna see what he's happy doing. If we get to lift a foot, that's great. But if we don't, it doesn't matter. And actually I've made a lot more progress by taking that, <laughs> that approach. It's, it's, been, it's been really, really interesting. Yeah. It, it blows your mind, doesn't it? And I think as humans, it's so hard for us. We are yeah. so God orientated. I know I can only speak for myself, but oh my goodness, you know, to not be focused on trimming long toes or doing this or doing that, it's the hardest thing out of all of this. Mm -hmm. Just letting go, okay, that's not happening today, you know, that's all right. And it's yeah. really not all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really I've, I've I've probably over the last twelve months I've I've been taking the approach with with new clients when they've got horses that they contact me and say okay you know he's quite worried and so on, I make a point of saying to them well on the first visit there's quite a good chance we won't trim the feet um, I'm just going to come brilliant see what he's comfortable with you know if we can pick all four feet up brilliant but you know we're not going into it with any expectation. Um, you know, yeah. and as long as you're happy with that, then, you know, great, I'll come out. But it's it's on that basis. And it's amazing the number of times that actually when you go into it with zero intent of, of a goal, as you say, you actually end up achieving that goal. Isn't it amazing? You know, it's, it's yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, I was really taught that with Cirrus, that young horse on the island. I literally it didn't even occur to me that I might handle him let alone trim his feet so it was never on the cards yeah but because of the progression of of how he was interacting I trimmed a completely unhandled horse loose after a few hours I mean I, I still can't get my head around it you know I don't I'm not saying that the, you know 
oh my god I've got amazing horse skills because it, it wasn't that at all it was just that's what he offered you know he yeah. was I was handling the other horses in a way that gave him confidence he'd give it a go and that's yeah humbling I mean it's and it creates this this opening and this space that other stuff can come into so instead of going down our fixed path of what we think we should be doing or what someone else has told us we should be doing it creates this freedom and and that's really liberating yeah yeah that's amazing yeah. that's amazing so, so I mean obviously you're you're out in Africa at the moment which is is incredible um but you know what what do you see as as the future where where, where do you see things going for you mm. <laughs> Wow, really, it's really interesting. Um, really, no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, work, I'm working more and more with with feral, semi-feral horses and ponies. Obviously, conservation grazing and having herds of of pretty unhandled um, ponies to graze land is becoming quite a big thing. And what people are discovering is that if they try and handle these horses in the normal way, unless these horses have come from a domestic background, it doesn't go well. You know, it, it doesn't work. So, so I'm getting like the RSPB and, and their uh, estate have, have asked me to go and do, do some work because they've tried stuff. And, and, and yeah, it, it's difficult. And unless you're going to treat them like cattle and put them in a crush and, and do all that sort of stuff but again you probably will only get them in there once and then that will be it so it's a, I feel like there's a bit of a paradigm shift in that that sort of area and what I can teach is very much that completely different way of handling a horse which fits in with 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 their lifestyle which is you know it's, it's a really nice thing to be able to do so I get huge fulfillment and and and, and the really interest was well, many interesting things but one of the really interesting things with my work it's just how how people get this so when I'm working in the zoos and the zookeeper it's like they do a bit and then because we're concentrating on trust and relationship building and all the rest of it there's and, and they haven't got any past conditioning about you know put the head color on from the left hand side and all that type of stuff there's a real freedom of how they can interact with these animals and and then they, you know, they they take it and they own it and then they take it to another place. You know, there was one guy who then implemented stuff into the work that he did with the wild goats, which changed, you know, all of that was with them loose in crates and, you know, they'd just jump out when they'd had enough, but then they'd come back. And that, and that I find, I mean, I love that. The thought that, that this is no special skill or one-off thing. This is to all you have to do is be reliable, be trustworthy, and then you can you can do stuff with it with an animal. I, I find that fantastic and really exciting. And and, that, and that's what I keep experiencing is you you know you work with people. I mean, I think the hardest thing is working with horse people who again. I mean, certainly for me, just dropping or trying to let go of years of conditioning and muscle memory and stuff. Yeah. And just working in yeah. that. But but then but then you know do, doing it in your own way, bringing your own things into it. So that. I'd, lo I'd love to do more of that and see people just really opening up how they how they interact, how they handle the, these horses. And of course, it has an application for domestic horses as well. And more and more people are going down this route and looking at more partnership based interactions with animals rather than just goal driven and focused. Uh -huh. um, so while I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm, I'm right on the edge of a national park. And, and we I mean, we've got zebra just outside. They're not here today, but it's uh it, yeah 
there were elephant there the other day and oh. baboons just gone by the window. I mean, it's, wow. it's really wild here. But, but what I learned with studying the wild horses or wild living horses is just how much you can learn from, from ethological study, from watching an animal living their life. You know, just not interpreting it or not trying to make stories up about it, but just what do they do? You know, what are their time budgets? How do they interact with each other? How do they choose to live? You know, that, if, that's our, if that's our baseline for working out what quality of life is, then we've got we've got a chance of creating a life of quality for them. And um, when I st- when I started doing a bit of work with the zebra in Edinburgh Zoo, I, I started to research zebra, obviously, and I couldn't find much. You know, there's quite a lot of studies, but they, they look at weird stuff. You know, they're not looking just at their lives. So it's really hard to find stories of of what they do day to day and, and what their social structures are like. So this is a an amazing opportunity to learn about that. So I've started to, to compile databases and we're in lockdown at the moment, so I can't go out every day, but as often as I can, I'll, I'll go out. And before lockdown, I was out, just, you know, find a group and hang out with them, you know, stay on the edges and, and watch what's happening. So just getting that information together. Um, I'm not a scientist and I'm, I'm not going to do a scientific study, but I've got a few scientists who are interested in coming out to record this because these are actually pretty amazing zebra because because they've integrated into this local human community as well. So these are wild animals living with people. So there's this whole other element to to what I'm learning from them, which I hadn't expected. I thought I'd just learn about the wildlife of a zebra. But there's a lot of interest in that, as you as you can imagine, because the way the world is, we're encroaching more and more into these wild places. These animals are under pressure. And I think this idea of, of fences, you know, that side's a national park and this side is people, is not a long-term solution. There needs to be integration. So when you find examples like these guys, then it's, it's absolutely inspirational. And that, you know, that's something I'm trying to, to, to gather more information about. It's like, how did this happen? Because this is within the last 25 years. I lived here in the early 90s and I know it wasn't like that then. So what are the elements that make this up, make this successful? So yeah it's like anything once you get into it 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 just grows and becomes some, something else so i'm just really valuing the time and, and having the opportunity to experience this uh, absolutely incredible i can't can't wait to hear you know hear more about what you're finding and and yeah i i think it's absolutely amazing yeah it is it really is it's it's so interesting and it, and it has applications to the domestic course you know it's it's not always obvious that there will be these links but but of course they're equines as well so it's really it's really valuable and, and interesting information so that's yeah. that's the sort of things I like to and of course I mean I, when I'm back in the UK I'm still doing a bit of trimming and I'm still um, involved in feet various other things I recently interesting and definitely I'm not a therapist or anything but it's that value isn't it of being with horses and and learning from them and how, how to do that in a really um authentic way you know so they're not a tool or you know something that facilitates your learning but you're actually um gaining experience with how how they are how how they behave and, and being around them so so yeah. many things that yeah. are interesting incredible. yeah incredible yeah i guess that, that i yeah absolutely fascinating this has been such an interesting conversation bonnie um 
really, really appreciate, you know, you, you taking the time and, and working through the, the tech out there in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the wilds. Tell you why, sorry, but I need to tell you what's going on out here, why it's so difficult to be, to be in touch. So Zimbabwe's having an, I mean, I think it, it, we've still got another two months and then they have these massive electrical storms. So the power gets knocked out. So that's came back, but there's no Wi-Fi and all the copper has been stripped out of them. So we've got no Wi-Fi. So at the moment I've got, I've got some mobile data on my phone, but if the electricity hits it, that'll be gone as well. So it's, it's amazing. Again, just like make a plan. Don't get attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally a world away. It's crazy yeah. what goes yeah, and the tele the baboons had pulled the telephone wire down the other day. It's just, <laughs> oh my goodness! That's that's not a statement you hear somebody say every day, is it? <laughs> um, so I, I won't keep you much longer. Um, what I'll do is I, I'm sure people are going to want to find out more about you. So, in the show notes for the podcast, I'll put the details up about your blog. Um, so that people can kind of have a have a look at all that. This Bonnie's got some really fantastic, fascinating articles in there, and they're really well. You can tell from the way Bonnie talks; they're obviously really nicely written. Um, so, completely recommend having a look at those. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to say thank you so much. It's it's been so interesting. What what an amazing life you've had so far. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to hear. You know what you find from from what you're doing at the moment out there and and the the conservation grazing stuff i think is is really fascinating so yeah we'll, we'll definitely look forward to having more conversations with you um as time goes on but uh, yeah huge thanks bonnie it's been brilliant oh thank thanks amy thanks for asking me and um yeah it's been really nice to talk to talk about it all because yeah you don't often yeah. get the chance to bring it all together and yeah. yeah, I mean, from, from I share that. Yeah, it's been great. On a boat to, to ending up out in, in Zimbabwe, I think that's, you know, it's quite the journey, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. Fabulous. Well, I'll uh, let you get back on with your day. Yeah, fantastic. Well, in, enjoy, enjoy being out there. It's got to be better than being sat in a hotel in the UK for best part of £2,000. I've got that yeah, no, it's it's been great talking to you, Amy. Thank it's great what you're doing. So uh, yeah, thanks for, for including me, making um, part of this. And all right. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, we'll we'll keep in touch and I'll speak to you soon. All right, take care, Amy. Thanks a lot. See you soon. <laughs> Bye.